Hello, and welcome to yet another podcast. I'm Josh Kaplan, and with me is Leah Delore. We use an approach called Lean Coffee to engage in agendaless time box discussions centered around software engineering. Here's how it works. We brainstorm topics, cast our votes, and those with the highest votes get discussed first. Each topic gets a dedicated five-minute discussion, and when time's up, we vote. Do we delve deeper for another five minutes or jump to the next topic? So grab your coffee and let's get started. I think I think we need some witty banter. There's a certain amount of like just the, the weekly catch-up should just be like part of the podcast. Honestly, yeah. Like I think it should because then it gets them the people to know us. Hey people, I'm Leah. This is my life. <laughs> right now our podcast has exactly two listeners. That's you and me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at your significant other and not mine. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, the, the bar is starting really low. <laughs> it does. It does. All right. So today we've got, we've got four topics on the table. We've got bus factor. What is it and what you can do about it? We've got uh, asynchronous programming, particularly around JavaScript and Node.js. We have a topic on good soft skills to have as an engineer. And a nice small easy one of story points fibonacci versus powers of two <laughs> i have a strong opinion on that as trivial oh, as that do. seems oh of course <laughs> i do let's get started by talking about bus factor um okay. do you know what a bus factor is or have you ever heard the term before no i have not i i remember asking you just a second ago and then i was like well we'll talk about it <laughs> all right so Bus factor uh, is the, the, the description that I've heard. Oh, and let me start our timer. Five minutes. So bus factor is the number of people on your team that can be hit by a bus before you can't operate your system anymore. Okay. Um, okay. This is effectively how much redundancy do you have on your team, right? Like if oh, okay. you are the only person on your team that knows how to make changes to this piece of code, you have a bus factor of one. If okay. you have a team of four and everybody knows how to make changes to that piece of code, you have a bus factor of four. Okay. Simple as that. It, yeah. It's it's a it's a very informal measure of redundancy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And I feel like this is a really common problem on teams where there's some like critical skill and only one person has that skill, and either uh, the team isn't spending enough time growing other people in that skill, so somebody the person who like a common pattern I've been I've been subject to this pattern on a few occasions where like that person's the only one that has that skill they get stuck doing the job they don't like right like for me it's always been CICD pipelines right like I like mm -hmm. DevOps I think it's valuable but I hate being the DevOps guy on the team yeah. you know I'm on vacation and the team can't do a release like oh. that's a problem yeah um, and you know, or, or something breaks and, and what the, the, the downstream impacts of that are in one, you get somebody who can't ever leave, right? Like they can't take a break. They never get time off, right? They're, they're yeah. too critical to something. Yeah. Um, the second thing is they get pigeonholed into it. So they get stuck doing that work that they're familiar with and never get to grow and learn and, you know, do other skills. Um, and it's detrimental to that individual and it's detrimental to the team because if you do something that's detrimental to the individual eventually they're going to probably want to leave that job right yeah. 
And so then it becomes even more detrimental to the team than, than it already was. Yeah. Um, so that's my short answer. Uh, not a short answer. That was my <laughs> answer. About last yeah. I mean, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, it's funny. Cause like, I'm just thinking about the team that I am working on and how, like how much redundancy we have. Um, and I feel like it definitely like depends on the situation, but I, I feel like we have a good amount of redundancy and a bad amount where it's like a lot of people can like people can release without any issues, but then it's also like there's certain areas of the application that people just know way more about that you always have to ask them questions. And when they do, then you're like, oh, you're screwed. <laughs> and I think you're always going to have some amount of that, right? We're like, so-and-so knows that database better or somebody on the team really knows the backend language you're using better than anybody else on the team. I don't, there, there's a difference between, I think, bus factor and like, this person's really strong in that skill, yes. right? Because I, I think it's okay to have skill disparity on a team, but what you shouldn't have is like, you shouldn't have it to a point where somebody is so skilled at that and everybody else is so poorly skilled at it that the other people can't do work in that space. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. I feel like that's hard too. And there's just so many skills that like certain people bring to teams sometimes that it's like, like what my old boss used to say this, which is like, what's everyone's superpower. And like, it's like, how do you figure that out? Also with the bus factor of like, you know, like everyone needs to have some of these superpowers to be able to run your team efficiently. All right, we are at time. Do you want to extend? How do I cancel the time? Doesn't need to keep ringing. It's... Why is it still dinging? <laughs> is there not like a cancel button? Uh, the, I've hit the cancel button. It's still ringing. Oh, hold on. There's a notification on the upper right of my other monitor. Oh. There we go. All right. So, in case I leave this in the edit just for the heck of it, um, I'm using a timer on my MacBook rather than on my phone just to see if that's any better or worse. Uh, and it's better because it keeps the time right in front of me. It's worse when I can't figure out how to turn off the timer. Uh, Bad UI design. No, not, <laughs> well, not necessarily. Not now I know where it is, right? But in fairness, um, there's a lesson there about trade-offs. All right, do you want to talk about asynchronous programming next or good soft skills to have as an engineer? Let's do asynchronous and then we can do good soft skills after. Jump back and forth between the technical and non-technical? Yeah. All right, uh, I am going to start the timer and let's talk about async. For, for some context for anybody who might be listening to this, we dealt with a big asynchronous programming problem the other day. Uh, that was uh, asynchronous and not as uh, asynchronously, not not as not handled in a way we should have handled it from an async standpoint, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you you wrote some code. It was doing some async things. We didn't await those async things, and then we returned nothing to the user, right? <laughs> and and we 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 worked through it, and it wasn't like it wasn't that far off from where it needed to be. Um, but async is really challenging and and i think the the first thought that i had when i when we were brainstorming the topics <clears throat> i want to talk about node and, and javascript and typescript and that, that whole node.js kind of environment yeah. versus other languages 
because in JavaScript, things are some things are just asynchronous by default. Yeah. And in other most other languages, you have to explicitly make things asynchronous. Well, I, I know how special JavaScript is. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so the first trade-off in my mind, right, is that it's because it's asynchronous by default. Like if you do a database call or, or, or a network call of some kind in JavaScript, that is asynchronous. And it returns what in JavaScript is called a promise, uh, which is just a, it's an interface in JavaScript that allows you to, you can await the results of the promise. So a promise is basically saying like, there's an asynchronous thing that promises to return some value to you. And if you await that, you'll get back the value. Yeah. Um, the upside of it being asynchronous by default, right, is that you get generally more efficient code from a network IO standpoint. The downside is that if you're not aware of what things are going to be asynchronous and you don't handle those explicitly, you get some unexpected behavior. Yeah, I, I feel like there's also like a, a, when is it good to do asynchronous versus not asynchronous in JavaScript is kind of a question that like pops up in my head as we're talking about this. Cause it's like, when would I ever want to do asynchronous with Python? I think the example that we dealt with the other day <clears throat> was a really good example. So uh, I, I think, let me try to see if I can give a very brief overview of that problem that's, that's abstract to the specifics. Yeah. Um, but the gist of it was we were taking in an array as input to a post endpoint. We needed to loop over that. And for each of those items, we needed to make a database call. Yeah. Um, and the reason we need to do that is because we're, we're using a NoSQL database and we don't have transactions. And so we needed to make sure that everything was updating in sequence and we didn't have race conditions. Um, and so we could have been, so we kind of looked at this and we, we talked about it and we said, you know, option one was to await each database call inside the for loop, which is, mm -hmm. you know, generally speaking, considered a bad practice. Um, the other option was to be smarter about the data, look at all the data up front, and then do a smaller set of queries that would not create a race condition and let those all kick off in parallel. Um, we actually, we opted for having it all happen in series and limiting the amount of user input. And the reason, you know, that we basically said, all right, we're going to do an, a, a, we're going to await an asynchronous operation inside a for loop because we can, we know that the maximum input, we're limiting the input from the user to like 10 items or 20 items. We've been playing around with what that number should be. Um, but we're, we're putting a maximum cap on that loop size. So we know that even though it's going to scale linearly and not scale, not execute all those operations in parallel, we know that it's going to have a maximum cap. And so we actually made the deliberate trade-off to, uh, to focus more on, to, to have a lower performance solution that was simpler. Yeah. Is that, is that a fair assessment of that? No. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think that part of, part of the question too, is like, you know, for actually having like, I'm going to keep going a few. All right. Um, I'm going to start another five minute timer. Okay. Right, I feel like having synchronous, like, I think the biggest thing that I heard when you were talking about that was like specifically about, um, like the race condition that you could potentially get if you were to have it be in parallel. And that was, that's interesting to me. Cause it's like, when are there possibilities when it's not going to be like a race condition, like you know, we're going to always be touching certain data and like there's certain scenarios maybe where 
you couldn't have the same two items in like one array, I guess. Yeah. So like a really good example for that might be like, um, suppose you need to update two different collections. Like we're using MongoDB, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for, for some technical background uh, for, for listeners that aren't familiar with that, um, in, you don't have any concept of transactions in MongoDB like you would in a SQL database. And so you can't say, I want to do this SQL command and this SQL command and this SQL command and then commit all of that. Um, but what you can get is atomic transactions, like a, atomic operations, if you are doing a single update on a single document in the database. And a document is Mongo's rough equivalent to a row. Um, and so if you were doing something like, I need to update the user and then update the uh, their blog post, for example, right? Mm -hmm. um, and those were two separate records in the database, you could kick those off in parallel because you are you don't necessarily need them to be transactional, yeah. right? Uh, now you might have a problem like if one of them fails and the other one doesn't, right? But I think your failure rates on stuff like that are pretty low um, because it's schemaless. So you end up with yeah. a lot less reasons the database call could fail. Um, so I think there's stuff you can do where, where kicking stuff off in parallel makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and you can you know you can do that safely. But if you run the risk of kicking stuff off in parallel and those the parallel database queries touching the same stuff, then you run the risk of incorrect data. Yeah. And I, I think in our case, because you are manipulating the line items in an order. Yeah. Right. Um, and you were saying like, give us all the line items you want to update but it's updating an order document we actually knew with reasonably high likelihood that there would be race conditions there because you're likely yeah. you're likely saying update items one two and three In and items one and two are from the same order like yeah. that would absolutely create a race condition no i agree with that well it's like it, to be honest like the more that we're talking about this i feel like i don't use the parallel like synchronous like asynchronous like potential enough in javascript yeah. which i feel like is probably something that maybe a lot of people do i don't know but like i i feel like i rarely use it where it's like oh let this just run without an await or anything for a database call because mm -hmm. usually i want to be waiting for that response or something that i need and and in fairness i think it's really easy for people to just want to do async await because like to make things work in parallel like you have to have a deeper understanding of how promises are working under the hood and that's easier if you've come from that background of like oh i've actually programmed promises in javascript before and i actually really understand how they work um one of the best examples that i can i can share that i would suggest like if people want to get hands-on with that and i have an example of it in one of the blog posts i did that is basically just do something that does like an asynchronous timer in JavaScript, like delay one second and then do something, right? Delay being an asynchronous operation um, and run those in series, right? Using async await and it takes three seconds and then play around with trying to do those where you kick them off in parallel and then await the responses, like wait till after the delay. And then you end up with something that is three separate timers happening in parallel. So you get a one second delay instead of a three second delay. And so it's a really small, isolated way to start playing around with that and get yeah. a feel for how to do it. Yeah, I feel like that would be a really good way to understand it. What are some good soft skills to have as an engineer? You want to kick us off with that one? What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah. Oh, man. 
I feel like there's so many. <laughs> um, I have actually heard this one, this the like the biggest one that comes into my brain because I've heard it so often because I've had people say this is that I'm really good at explaining or talking about software um, and like what I am doing or what I'm trying to understand. And not even in the sense of like, I'm good at explaining it because I can't say that I'm really good at explaining my thoughts, <laughs> but I'm good at being able to talk about it with people. And I think that's really big because sometimes engineers don't have that communication experience, um, but being able to communicate it can get you really, really far. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll second that. And I, I, I want to just say maybe communication more broadly. And I, I think there's a few things running through my head there. So the first is communicating technical ideas to non-technical people or, or, or even technical stakeholders that aren't don't have a technical background in what you're talking about, yes. right? Um, yes. and, and I think frequently, and this is something I, I struggled with a bit early in my career, is when you're trying to explain a technical problem and why something's not going to work, and you're explaining that to like, your manager that doesn't have a software background at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really struggled with this early in my career. You come across as the naysayer who's just shutting down like their big picture vision. And you're like, you're the person coming in and telling them why it can't be done yeah. right? or that it can't be done. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's really important to be able to come into those conversations and go, you know, here are the problems we're seeing. Here's why it's occurring. Here's the impact it has to the product, the business, the end user, whatever. And and here's the really important part. Here's some possible ways we might address that. Yeah. Right? And be, like being able to come to the table in those conversations with paths forward, yeah. which requires some other soft skills, right? Some like big yes. picture thinking, this, this kind of user or business centric mindset where you're understanding like, what is the purpose of what we're building beyond just me building like an efficient software product? Yes. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. And it's, this goes slightly in a, in the opposite direction. Cause I've had an experience where I had to basically, there was someone that did have like the, some technical background in like, you know, the application and they were a leadership person and they had this grand idea of things. And while that's great and they want that, there's also like the limitation of just not enough time to build that grand idea. Mm -hmm. So I feel like in the opposite direction of kind of what you were saying of like, you know, that's technically not something we can do right now. There's also the, we can do it, but we don't have the bandwidth to do that at this moment. And also being able to explain that with that grand idea, like those big picture soft skills that you were also talking about. So I've actually had that problem very specifically recently with people. Uh, I've been working with a team where they're like, oh, we want to do this and we want to do that. And, and you know, all this big stuff. And I'm like, okay, like, and we talked about the problems and I was like, there's not a lot of technical risk here. This is all very achievable stuff, but you know, it's going to take time and you, you need, you know, the, the, the server infrastructure and you need yeah. a dev team and you need some CICD stuff in place and you need to deal with security and compliance and all of that. And, you know, there's overhead, it's going to take effort. And what we had done is we'd gone back to, we kind of had this conversation with this person. I was like, all right, well, you know, you're talking about putting two halftime engineers on it. Like you need a team of like four or five and it's going to take you a year or more. Yeah. Um, you know, which all of a sudden goes from like, oh, well, we wanted to only spend like a hundred thousand dollars on this. I'm like, well, this is about a million dollar project at least because um, <laughs> offer labor costs add up really fast. Yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, being able, being able to articulate that in a way that doesn't sound like you're just shutting down ideas, like that you're actually bringing solutions to the table um, and helping people. I, I think that's a key thing when, when we talk about communication in software is like you're there. Part of your job is to help people solve their problems, not just to tell yeah. them that it can't be done or why it can't be done. It's to tell them. And I think one of the effective ways to communicate that is not to say, hey, it can't be done, but here's what it would take to get that done. Yeah, right. yes. I think is a, is a really good way to frame stuff like that, that yeah. is working with them and offering a solution and then let them come to the conclusion that they don't have the resources <laughs> to implement that solution. Yes, mm -hmm. I 100% I agree with that. Um, all right, so that's communication. We're almost at time here. I want to extend this one because yeah. like this is, this is a really good topic and we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, I was going to say, we've only been talking about communication so far and there's other soft skills. <laughs> all right, so, so communication is a big one. Um, I actually have a guide that I give to, to my um, students because you know, we work with their, the, these senior design students and we, there's a lot of kind of this like open-ended soft skill stuff that we assess. And mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about um, attendance and preparedness and being proactive and being engaged and like taking initiative and yeah. how those are factors like I think those are factors that really lead towards like promotion oh, in yes, a job. Like, yeah. Showing up, showing up on time. Not yeah. you know, I don't know everybody's late now and then, especially in software, we have this very like cushy white collar. <laughs> um, you know, it my my I didn't set an alarm and I slept in and was half an hour late. <laughs> podcast right hey 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 <laughs> and, that's, and that's totally like that happens from time to time and it's you know no hard feelings but it's you know as long as you're not making those things habitual as long as when you are there you're engaged you're present you're prepared you're proactive right that stuff goes a really long way towards um showing that you're you know, setting your work ethic apart from your peers yes um, no i honestly right. I, I shouldn't say apart from your peers because that makes it more competitive than it should be but it's still true though in a sense of like if you want to grow and you are at your job to do more than just be there and do your eight to five and be done like if you want to learn more about software if you want to grow yourself i think those are really important things and even just like being respectful to your team at that point too it's not even just about like you want to grow yourself but you want to be respectful like I had an experience where there was literally someone that was just constantly late, constantly to every single meeting. Like we would all make a joke about it, but it was also like he ended up eventually getting let go. But it was also like that's part of it, too. It's like, you know, there's somebody that doesn't show Sh up showing showing respect. Yeah, because because lack of lack of showing up, lack of like if you're regularly late or you're not showing up or you're missing stuff. Like that shows a disrespect to your your team. Yeah. Um. I I remember and I I I got really frustrated with the team one day and I kind of I had words with some people, uh, yeah. where I, I showed up to work on like it was Friday or something and I had like an eight o'clock meeting on my calendar and a nine o'clock and a ten o'clock and an eleven o'clock. It was just it was just like meetings all day. Yeah. And at eight o five the eight o'clock got canceled and at like five to nine the nine o'clock got canceled and it like that continued throughout the whole day. And this was a team that had like really bad habits around agile scrum and said like their nine o'clock scrum, scrum got canceled and moved to noon because somebody couldn't be there because they couldn't you know because they decided something else was more important than showing up for their team mm -hmm. right and so i had words with that team the scrum master and the team lead um i was in a role at this point where i was supporting multiple teams and i was there to help them do better and i said <laughs> look guys first of all like i've spent four hours this morning sitting around doing nothing because all of my meetings have been canceled at the last second 
yeah. right? Um, you know, had a meeting, things got shifted. And, and so I spent a lot of time just in between meetings yeah. um, all day. And then, you know, the second problem with that is if you're the team lead for your team and you can't make it to scrum, like you better have a good reason. Like, I'm not saying yeah. that can never happen. Like you have a customer issue, you have a production issue, stuff might happen that might say, hey, this thing is legitimately more important than meeting with my team right now. But when you have a daily team stand up like that, um, you know, the team lead's job is to put the team first yes. and to be, to be present and supportive of that team. And so the, the conversation I had with that person was you showed a lot of disrespect to your team by doing that. Yeah. Um, and if you want to earn your team's respect, which this person had pretty well lost at that point, um, you're going to have to change that behavior. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think you've got, all right, so respect for teams. We've talked about communication. Um, what else? Um, let's see. I, I think, I've... you know, this goes into a whole other topic, so I don't want to go down the rabbit hole here, but like creating trust on teams is also really important. Yeah. Well, that's part of that. I was going to say was too, is like being able to guide and be helpful is also really important. Like mm -hmm. being able to, like, you don't always have to be available for people like when they have questions, because sometimes like you have priorities and you can't do that. But also like, which I think goes back to the trust thing that you're talking about is being able to be willing to help mm -hmm. and or being willing to, you know, do this do the stuff yourself before even going ask going to ask questions i think are two kind of of the same coin and important things for some well, i think that depends on your role right whether you're the junior person or the senior person yeah. right if you're if yes. you're the, the junior person like show that you've done your due diligence show that you've done your research show that you made an effort before you just go to like the senior engineer and go yeah i didn't try to figure this out right but can you just tell me what to do um because otherwise like then you're wasting that person's time and you're showing you're you're being disrespectful to them Conversely, if you're the senior person, right, like you might have times where you're more busy and you're not always available to help everybody, but letting them know that that's part of your job and you prioritize that and making the time for it. Like if I can't help you on a given day or, or at a given time, right, I think it's really important that I at least be able to say, hey, I can't right now. Here's when I can. And yeah. then really importantly, actually be present for that. Right? Yes. Like, yes. so when you say you're going to do something, do it. And that, by the way, goes at all levels of an organization. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And if for some reason you're not going to be able to communicate that as soon as you know, you're not going to be able to. Yes. Right? No, it's, it's not agree. out of the question that people, I'm going to run out of time. That's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> not out of, all right. I'm going to finish saying that. And then I'll give you the final word. <laughs> it's not out of question, out of the question that people drop stuff or fail to deliver on something yeah we're human people make mistakes things come up whatever but it is i think every professional person's responsibility to communicate that in a timely fashion yeah all right, all right well moving on to our last topic we're going to talk about story points fibonacci versus powers of two <laughs> leah fibonacci versus powers of two. well i guess first before we even jump into your opinion uh, for anybody who's not familiar, right, um, in Agile, particularly in Scrum, you will estimate your tasks using something called story points, which are a, uh, a short, short explanation as I can here, a rough ballpark size of the user story relative to past user stories. Um, so it's not strictly like a representation of hours or days or time, uh, though it frequently correlates reasonably well with that. Um, 
it's it's an estimate of like how complex is the task or how hard is it to do or how big is it um it's this kind of gut feel estimate for lack of a better term so frequently teams like using things like the fibonacci sequence which is one two three five eight thirteen twenty one or powers of two two four eight sixteen thirty two um because what they those things do is they they capture the intent of story points which is to capture the order of magnitude rather than an exact estimate mm-hmm. um another thing i've seen teams use and i don't love this is t-shirt sizes so you'll do yeah. like small medium large extra large um and so on i don't like t-shirt sizes because it's not quantitative and there is usually reasonable correlation between story points and actual level of effort from a time standpoint and so quantitative story points i think are valuable. yeah so um, i can actually talk a little bit about that because yeah, my team course. has used some t-shirt sizing but we actually use fibonacci for our main story point estimate okay so when when we use t-shirt sizing usually that's at the very beginning of like a big feature or something that we don't know a lot about like requirements estimation okay you're doing this at like the feature or epic level rather than at the story yes yes so it's like it's the pre stuff the pre-work to be like hey this is about the amount of time that we're gonna need to actually work on this even though we don't know the requirements it's like a really really high level we've got an intuitive idea that like are you asking me to add a button to a web page or are you asking me to rebuild ChatGPT? Yes, exactly. So then we'll be like, okay, like that's a, yeah, like, you know, the button's small, but, you know, ChatGPT extra large, extra, extra large, you know, something yes. like that. And then once we really dive into like, okay, here are the requirements, here are the tickets that we're going to be writing. Then at that point, we use a Fibonacci series to really identify, you know, like this is going to actually be like three story points or this is going to be just one because we're just mm-hmm. changing the name of something. Yeah. So. Um, I, so I like there's powers. my opinion is uh i like fibonacci <laughs> I, i'm a powers of two fan oh um, you are and here here's why okay um i i think you have clearer spacing in the numbers in in like a nice logarithmic scale uh versus fibonacci like one and two eh. um and then the the other thing is that for well, a couple things so better spacing in the numbers I like even numbers better than odd numbers. It's just an opinion. Um, there's a lot of odd numbers in the Fibonacci sequence. Thanks, one. Um, that, that's largely because of the one. Um, and uh, I like when, because it tends to correlate with time, it, and I know m- most a- like hardcore agile people will tell you story points are not time, and what I'm saying right now is, is bad. But... Um, <laughs> If, if I'm in the mindset that a story point is a day, right? Or yeah. an hour, right? Depending yeah. on how we estimate things. If I say a story point is an hour, a, f- a one is something trivial. A two takes me a little bit of time. A four is half my day. An eight is my entire day. 16 starts representing a large chunk of my week. And 32 represents my whole week, right? Yeah. So... It's actually funny because we do it slightly differently. We say that if it's above an eight, that's usually means it's not Mm -hmm. something that can be done in one sprint in one sprint. Yeah. Yeah. And so we usually, if it's above an eight, we do not story point it above an eight, like break it out into tickets. 
So I will do that in same thing in the powers of two stuff, right? When when we treat it like a story point is more like a day, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then the smallest stories we ever do are half a story point, right? Yeah. Um, to to indicate that something is like it's probably only one line of code change, but like we need to change it. It needs to go through code review. We need to test it. Like stuff till very rarely does stuff take only an hour. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to say, we don't even use, oh, that's the timer. <laughs> it is our time. <laughs> so we haven't, we can extend though, right? We can, well, we haven't, we've extended two, but we can ease ourselves into how strictly we want to follow that rule. Okay. <laughs> for sure. Let's extend for another five. <laughs> story points, Fibonacci versus powers of two are a long discussion for yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going to be really interested in this one. Um, but I, I feel like there's going to be a small set of really opinionated software engineers that are going to be really into these conversations we're having and we've alienated the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, you know, some people might like end up hearing the Fibonacci and the power of two and be like, why am I listening to this? Like, why, who cares if it's one or two, <laughs> but I was going to say, I don't do half story points and I don't actually know if I like that personal uh, but yeah, to me, I like the half because I do think there are some tasks that are like small and trivial and we still want to capture that. Like, yeah. uh, I want this button to be on the right side of the page instead of the left side of the page, right? Yeah. That is a really small and trivial thing. Um, but if you don't estimate those with eight, like the problem, the pitfall I've seen is when teams take stuff like that, call them all zero and then have 20 of them in their sprint, right? Okay. Because they treat them, they treat like the tiny tasks like they're negligible. And just because they're small doesn't make them negligible. So my team doesn't do that. We we will not do zero. We will do one <laughs> for them. But we, we assume that that is, even though it's one and it's like a really small effort, we like, we are very conscious of when we use one. Like we do not use one for, you know, moving like large things or it's usually yeah, like yeah. a letter change or like there's a word misspelled like it's the smallest most minuscule things anything yeah. that is like not an easy thing we will use three or two and up uh, all right so let me ask your opinion because we extended this time so let's, <laughs> let's go on a tangent yeah um do you do subtasks in your stories so yes and no um I, that's only been recently actually, and it's only been for really large tickets that I've created subtasks okay. for like, like there's a feature that I'm working on. That's like, there's an API portion and new UI portion. And like, I want to separate those two because even though it's still going to take me like one sprint to do it, they're subtasks. So I want to identify when I'm finishing certain things versus the other stuff. Hmm. Okay. Because, you know, it's it sounds to me like the way you guys are estimating stories is like your stories are a little bit bigger than some of yeah. what I, like. I like really tiny stories and breaking them yeah. down as small as I can. But as a result of that, I don't like subtasks because I feel like they get too granular. Yeah. Um, yes. I usually feel like my acceptance criteria in a story is good enough and I've broken yeah. my stories down really small. Um, the downside to that is sometimes my stories are frequently so fall that I so so small that I end up with a lot of enabler stories rather than like bigger user facing stories. Yes. Right. So a lot of them are like internally facing. Right? Yeah. So user story might not be the right word. No. Yeah. I get that. I feel like we are really good about like having larger stories story or larger issues or whatever, but like we are good about writing down requirements. To be honest, we could be better about writing down the like requirements and um, ACs 
in it. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I always like acceptance criteria in stories because I feel like that removes, they don't have to be like formal requirements, but rough yeah. acceptance criteria removes, even if it's rough, it removes a lot of ambiguity Yeah, between like the TPM or the product owner and the person who's implementing it and making sure that there's kind of a shared understanding of what the outcome should be. Yeah. To be honest, I feel like the recent past uh, experience that I like working with uh, tickets and stuff has been difficult because um, in my past experience, leadership does not put like the enough information into the requirements and we start to develop it. And then we have to figure out the requirements as we are starting to build it. And it makes it really difficult. It makes it, it, makes it take a lot longer. And, yes. Yeah. And, and in some fairness, like oftentimes that is one of the major benefits of agile. Yeah. And, and it's, it's maybe a potential pitfall for people to rely on the iterative process of agile rather than trying to like plan certain things up front. Yeah. Right. Agile, just because agile pushes for iteration doesn't mean that should be your first choice if you're able to plan like to yeah. know. I think it makes it difficult too, though, for like really understanding like just the because when you do so many iterations and you just like are building something and then you have to do multiple iterations again, it makes it hard. That's what I'll say. I'll All right. <laughs> I want to point out as an aside, I just discovered that our whiteboard has a timer built in. Hmm. Like, I'm curious if I do this, I start it. Oh, I can see it. Can you? Yeah, you can see timer starting. Ah, look at that. 